Blog Talk Radio. All right. All right, yeah. Uh, You guys want to start the show? Let's start the show. Everybody, welcome to Saturday Morning Serial. I am Grim Shea, and joining me as always is Marky. Say hey, Marky. Hey, hey. And uh, we are talking, we're talking, well, we're going a little negative today. <laughs> yeah, we're, we're hoping going. to be positive about it, but we're talking about, well, about haters, about internet trolls, Troll, about, uh, yeah. about you know, animosity this, out there. It's the shady side. Yeah, yeah. About, about hecklers and troublemakers and yeah. uh, it's not something that was invented by the internet, but the internet definitely changed it. It gave with its it anonymity and everything. Yeah, We've got perfectly. I am uh, you know right now. Someone's probably writing a really nasty comment about about, the about what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, probably. That's why I think I actually took off the comments from our website. Yeah. Yeah. It's just. Um, yeah. I, don't, I, I guess we're going to get into it, aren't we? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we're going to get into it. We're going to talk to uh, – this week we're talking to Jamie Kennedy, mm-hmm. who I think is a, a great example of somebody who's talented, had success in, in his field, and then – He's a Hollywood punching bag. And then, Yeah, now, yeah. He, now he's a bit of a, a, bit a, of a punching bag. Yeah, unfairly, obviously. Yes, very much unfairly. Yeah. I think it all stems from when he did uh, The Mask too. Yeah. And uh, – uh, this was, and when that movie came out, when he you know, was handed, you know, what what could be the big break, the the movie mm-hmm. franchise that Jim Carrey walked away from, and maybe you know this could have been his baby, but I mean I, the fact that the first mask did well, I think, kind of surprised me. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. just not a not a great idea. For I don't think Cameron anyway. Diaz was in the mask too, so yeah, no. going to be yeah. Son of the Mask did not did not fly super well. Uh, but, you know, that's no surprise. There's plenty of movies out there that just don't work. But what happened to him, and this was early on in the uh, in the Internet age, where instead of just getting Roger Ebert giving you a thumbs down, mm-hmm. there were bloggers and people on the Internet all of a sudden who could reach more of a mass audience who were just attacking him exactly. personally. And at the same time, it's the very, very late 90s, early 2000s, at the same time. Mm-hmm. George Lucas decided to release the new trilogy of Star Wars films. Yep, yep. Which, which brings us to uh, we also yeah. talked to uh, this week. We uh, we sit down and we chat with uh, Bradley Weatherholt, uh-huh. who is uh, putting together. I, I I hesitate to use the term prequel apologist. It's a bad documentary term. We're, because they're, we're not because apologists. I'm sitting across yeah. from uh, a defender. prequel defender. That's right. But, uh, a trilogy is what we like to say. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the trilogy defender. 
but uh but we we explore the idea of what what heckling what hate what you know yeah. what critics going beyond critiquing do and how personally i think we're never going to not have that no in the world. and you know, there's always going to be a drunk heckler at a comedy show there's always going to be someone getting real racist and inappropriate on a youtube comment section and we kind of need it in a way that's okay it's yeah, fine. It's, I'm okay. It's all right. There's room in society. I'm a big boy. I can take it. it. You know, but it's fine. still, you know, it, it's this is all this is all early, you know, leading up to you know stuff that when it becomes like cyberbullying yeah. and you have kids killing themselves yep. over this sort of thing. And there's been bullies since way before the internet, but the internet has changed it. Mm-hmm. That's where it kind of gets dangerous. But at the same time. Why are you going to go on the internet and say Jamie Kennedy should die just because he was in a bad movie? Or why should George Lucas die because he robbed me of my childhood? Yeah, you know, like it's it's there uh, is there is a difference, and well, uh, let's just boil it down. A hater's gonna hate. A hater's gonna hate, hate, hate. Don't hate. sing that. And Not that I hate say, the song. Say, that song is so damn that, catchy. I was in Target, and that song came on, and I'm like. This girl is going to take over the world. That song is awesome. <laughs> yeah. And she's going to have plenty of haters yeah, to bring it yeah. all back around. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, uh, Jamie Kennedy. Yeah. I still want to talk. And uh, we sat down, had a nice long chat with him. Uh, what, a, what I really was excited about when I knew I was going to talk to him was he made another movie right after uh, The Mask. Right after The Mask came out. Where he actually explored this phenomenon, it's called Heckler. He was very in ahead the of movie. His time, I yeah, this. yeah. yeah. Uh, he, he took it upon himself to do this. He's got a lot of, you know, he was a, a stand-up comedian himself. He's got a lot of friends in comedy, so they kind of explored the idea of what heckling is. Mm-hmm. And it was so early on in the internet that he was actually able to go and get some of these people who were writing these horrible things. Yeah, he like tracked them down. About, he tracked them down <laughs> and interviewed them on camera. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not trying to spoil anything. I'm not going to say that any minds were changed. But, you know, he tried his best to humanize the idea and explore the idea of heckling. Yeah. Where it fits in. Why do people think it's appropriate to do it? And is there a place for it? So on and so forth. It was actually a fascinating documentary. I was really glad I got to see it. Uh, and I talked to him about that. And also, he's in one of his newest movies, uh, uh it's called Buddy Hutchins. It's available VOD right now. Yep, you can find it on probably DVD, on video on demand. Go out and look for it. But it's uh, it's kind of like a falling down. Take yeah. a guy who's who's had enough and gets. It's kind of like a little revenge fantasy movie, which I imagine and it, it, isn't that fitting. It 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 does seem fitting. Like you know that's 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 if anybody deserves to get out and you know. To get more than he's been given, it's it's got to be it's got to be Jamie Kennedy. <laughs> yeah. I think I three kings, one of the one of my favorite and movies. His performance and he's a, is great. Fantastic. He's great in that. He had his own TV show, the Jamie Kennedy Experiment. They don't give that to losers. No, and he even got his own vehicle movie, the the Malibu's Most Wanted, based on a character he made. B Rad. B Rad. <laughs> yeah. uh, which, you know, I, I enjoy. I'm glad that I've seen Jamie Kennedy movies. I'm glad that he was there in the the first Scream movie. Mm-hmm. He was the one who sat down and explained all the rules of horror. Yep. You know, kind of the first meta horror movie, and he's he's a big reason for it. Yeah. You can't just take him out of of culture. I I believe he, and I'm I'm not all that up on the gossips, but uh, 
I believe he dated Jennifer Love Hewitt even. I mean, it's yeah. I, it. He reached the the peak. Yeah, or the peaks. It's well, that's good. But uh, he is not. You know, it's not like he imploded <laughs> and now he's addicted to crack and no, he's great or he's, something. He's still working. He's doing great. Yeah, yeah. You know, he he's not shunned, but he could have. He could have had a brighter career path if it hadn't been for a couple of uh, a couple of movies. Uh, I I saw him once. Uh, this was at a comic con five six years ago. Uh, we were uh, I think we were at the Joe's Crab Shack, which is right behind the convention center, and a bunch of us were kind of at the bar area. And he and he kind of came in, and you kind of saw like at the exact same time a lot of like. You can kind of see some of the haters that were just kind of around me. Like, they were kind of snirking. They were kind of, ooh, Jimmy Kennedy. You know, like, it was just kind of like, there was just kind of like this vibe going around, like, kind of, in a way, kind of downplaying him or making fun of him or whatever. And, but all the hostesses were all excited. They were getting pictures with him. The waiters were coming around. You know, like, it was, he was getting just a massive amount of love. And in the backdrop, there was just it's kind of this little vein of kind of haters. Yeah, you know, which is which is weird because it's not like he's a Cambodian politician no, or something. No, he's great. Who, what's, the, what's the big deal? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, it's 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 a shame. But again, it comes back to haters going to hate, 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 hate. Yep. You you and and when Lucas put out his new his prequels, his prequels. Yeah, there was it's people were not getting in line to hate on it. I don't think, but as soon as it was over, they did. There were plenty of people who found reasons to go online and say horrible things. Well, and, and even, I think this is, uh, and this is why we're going to bring you this particular show today. It's that the actual, uh, the, the dialogue starts to kind of take a life of its own that kind of goes beyond rationale you yeah. know it, like it doesn't really make sense why jamie kennedy isn't liked you yeah know? it really doesn't yeah, the guy hasn't done anything to hurt you no and he's all of his performances i mean maybe the movie doesn't work but his performances have always been right on you know there's 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 many different reasons why things are successful or not and uh on the other side of that with the prequel trilogy there's many 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 thousands and millions of fans that actually really really love them mm-hmm and there's like this again this unbalanced unproportional amount of hate that seems to predominate uh you know over all the love you know i saw it in the example of when i saw jamie kennedy in person mm-hmm. you see a few people just kind of negative about it but for the most part there's, a, there's just a lot of love going around man and so uh here we have this kind of unique opportunity to kind of bring these two things to you so we have Bradley and B Rad from Malibu. That's right, coming at you. Yeah, but, uh, let's uh, with no further ado, let's uh, talk with Jamie Kennedy, Magic Interview Machine. Bring me Jamie Kennedy. Meanwhile, I'm here with uh, Jamie Kennedy, who you know from a lot of things, and we'll we'll get into those in a second. But I uh, I want to start off with uh, your new project, which is uh, Buddy Hutchins. Just came out last month on uh, DVD, video on demand, and it's sort of a return to a uh, to horror movie for you. Mm, kind of. It's um, like I think it's like a like a dark comedy. It has aspects of falling down in it. 
Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I definitely about, caught those. You got that, right? Yeah, oh, and yeah. It has, uh, it has basically, like, you know, what happens when a man is pushed to his limits, and then what does he do when he grabs a chainsaw? <laughs> True. And this and this and this film finally answers that age old question. It does, right? <laughs> it's uh it's uh, when when I sat down and started watching it, you know, I kind of had an idea of where it was going. I'd heard uh, enough of the synopsis before beforehand, but definitely uh you know, I was expecting like, oh, this is going to be kind of revenge horror. Uh, and then when it starts out, you're right, it's very much like falling down, where you bring us in and you make us care about Buddy Hutchins and just watch him get abused for the first act. Yeah, that's basically what happens. And then he starts to, you know, he can't take it anymore and he's pushed to his end. Yeah, it becomes enough's enough. And then, uh, you know, instead of Michael Douglas just getting out, walking out of the car, it's pretty much uh, go to it. You are you are dropping every character from the first act left and right through this thing, and uh, becomes that's where I think it becomes more more like like a horror movie. But uh, but the entire thing is on track as you know, watch this guy finally take out his anger on the world, where you bowl kind of. Yeah, that's what happens where he, uh, you know, basically in a nutshell, he can't hold back anymore. I mean, I think once he gets to first taste blood, you know, he's not scared to do it anymore, and it's basically, he loses it, so I thought, I think the comedy comes in, and his weapon of choice is a chainsaw, and then there's also, but it's just not that, it's also like, he doesn't really mean to kill people, and he kills them by mistake, and he's always like, fuck, <laughs> you know, and then he just sort of comes like, almost like he's covering his tracks, and, but there's some really good moments in it, and funny and also dramatic Sally Kirkland, an amazing actress, you know, a legend and um that's what I wanted to do. It was like a character piece, you know. And I thought it could be culty. Yeah. And you are it is it is telling that uh that the title of the movie is Buddy Hutchins because you are filling every frame of that movie. <laughs> I try. I try. Thank you. <laughs> Of course, which which of course is something you're you're used to. You've had a you've had a long successful career. Um, I want I I I love that. I, I I understand. I'm kind of stretching to keep calling this horror, but I want to do that so that I can so that I can mention Scream and Randy and you know in case anyone's forgotten, Jamie Kennedy's the one who set out the horror rules in the original Scream. That has kind of changed the way they make horror movies now. I think that's that's a pretty big moment, you know, in the history of horror movies. That was the big reboot for all of us, you know, fifteen years ago. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that you said it like that. If I think about it, I guess. I mean, like horror movies, the genre is kind of stagnant at the moment. It was, you know, there hadn't been, you know, I think a good horror movie since ninety or ninety ninety one ish. Like that was really working. You had the Tremors, and you had, you know, like, Leprechaun. There wasn't really anything out there. And then Scream kind of came up and was the first kind of movie that was kind of meta. Where yeah, exactly. Was self-referential. I was like, this is too weird. And, you know, it's kind of commenting on itself because basically 
being raised on horror movies, as Kevin was, he was like saying, well, this is a device, and this is a device, and this is a device, and then people really liked that, and I was lucky enough to be that character that kind of was the voice of the audience and thinking through what people always thought, and, uh, but yeah, I guess you're right, because it does, like, change stuff. I never thought of it, but it did kind of set a new genre of horror movies out. Oh, yeah. I think it was just there was a time when you weren't really supposed to be laughing at horror movies, and if you were, it was, you know, like like the Munchie series or something, when you just, this is too much. I, I can't take this seriously unless I get to laugh at it every five minutes. And I think with Scream and the whole meta idea, it just opened itself up into a new world where it was scary and you were supposed to laugh at it, and that's why we get to have dark comedies that fall into that sort of horror subset now, which Buddy Hutchins fits the bill perfect. So thank you for letting me tie all that back up again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that was good, and I agree with that, that whole assessment. Now, if, if you're not familiar with uh, with Mr. Kennedy's work, and I have a hard time believing that any of you out there wouldn't be, but it's not all horror. I loved, um, I want to talk about Malibu's Most Wanted, Be Rad. I love mm-hmm. that movie. Um, okay, always thank you. And to this day, I'm still holding out hope we might get to see him again, but I won't push it. <laughs> you know, people have talked to me about it, but uh, I don't know. It's been like 12 years, and it's like, how old is he rad? And I don't want to, like, it was a good little thing, and there's like good little little movie, and people really like it. But I don't know, maybe, I mean... I don't want to do it. I would only do it if it could be good, you know. I don't want to do it if it's not good. But, but who knows? A lot of people have said that, so I appreciate that. Hey, no problem. You, you, you shoot me a line when you get the Kickstarter funded. I got, I got twenty bucks for you right here, right now. Yeah. Get this thing rolling. <laughs> but beyond that, and what I'm really driving to get to, because this is uh, when, when I first, when I first heard that I was going to get to, uh, get to talk to you. My mission then became to go out and find myself a copy of Heckler, oh. a documentary you did about you know eight ten years ago. I got to see once on television and I loved it. And I think a lot of it's uh, it may it probably not as popular as people know Scream or Malibu's Most Wanted, but I think that was I mean by the the most entertaining, the most human, the most honest thing that I had seen in so long. I, I love that. I want to talk about that. Sure. What, I, what do you want to know? Well, how, how was that born about? Is this, has it, has that been like a quiet little fantasy for, you know, stand up comedians forever? Like, well, I'm going to do a documentary, really show these sons of bitches. Well, I was working on, um, my first stand up special and I was in clubs and, I got in a few heckles, but nothing bad. And I thought, these are pretty funny. And I would go back and look at the tape to watch the material, and I'd see some heckles, and I thought, wow, these are, these are pretty funny. So then I started, like, recording the heckles. And then I started putting them together, and I thought, this is kind of interesting. Like, what makes a person heckle? So then I started interviewing the hecklers and, and their motives and stuff like that. So that was the first part of it. Then I started interviewing comedians and getting their heckles, and it started growing kind of naturally. I didn't have a plan. And then, at the time, I was starring my first big-budget movie, the sequel to The Mask, and 
came out, you know, terrible. People hated it. And I was just, you know, an actor in it. And we really worked hard on it. And it wasn't the movie that we wanted to make. And, you know, a lot of things involved, politics and such, that we had no control of. And yet people were killing us on the Internet, saying that terrible, there's no talent, we're pieces of shit, like my, like my mom's uterus should have like been shut down for having me, you know, like all this stuff. I was like, and I don't know, it was just like the perfect moment, the zeitgeist of like blogs blowing up and internet, like everyone being able to completely review stuff. It was just right at that moment. I was like, oh, and, I, and that was my first like really big press, like worldwide press thing. And, and I was just, it just hit me, and I was like, fuck. And I was like, okay. Like, this is like it's a wave of negativity. So then I started looking at it, and I was like, i got to interview these people. Who are these people? Why are they doing this? Like, it's one thing, like, to review something and say it's bad, and you understand it. That, that I can understand. But then yeah. to go well, that's more like personally. the traditional critics, you know, before the Internet and trolls and just go right to calling yeah. someone Hitler. Yeah. So that's what that's where it came out. I think it was at that perfect moment where people started personally attacking you. So it wasn't like today uh, DeMarco Murray is traded to the Cowboys and giving his stats. Like DeMarco Murray, you know, they'll, they'll personally attack you. You know, it's just and so and that's what I had to investigate, and that's why I did it because it was out of sheer like pain. And then once I went through the whole process, I feel much better because I got to know who they are. Yeah, there was definitely like a catharsis that we all got to go through on that. And it was it was the parts, especially about Son of Mask, that made it, you know, really kind of personal for us, the audience, to you, the performer. Uh, but it was all set in like this larger structure of, you know, the changing conversation between, you know, performer and critic. And it was getting sort of academic there. And uh, and then when you actually brought on the the heckler, the people who had written these things these, on in these blogs, and put them in front of a camera and asked them just straight out, you know, just please give me an answer to this question, I, it it sort of turned everything around. Which uh, yeah, I, I love that you got it. I mean, I think you really broke it down the way I wanted it to be. It's like. People think I'm sitting in the middle of it whining and, oh, there's great commentary and then it's about me. It's not. It's about those people are the commentary and I'm like just the person who follows going through this one thing. It could have been any one of those people. But it's basically like in the bigger picture, it's about being creative and trying something. And I think as I look at the movie now is there's no failure anymore. Like you cannot fail. Like, if I was, when I was 13 years old, I used to play the bass, and I didn't like it. But I would sit in the room with my bass teacher, and I would go, blah, 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 blah. And that was the first thing you ever learned on the bass, smoke on the water, because it's easy, right? And if I were to go out into a club and do that, and my chords were off, you know, it would be, first of all, you don't do it because you practice in your room. But second of all, if I were to do that now, and someone put it on YouTube, they said, he's the shittiest bass player, blah, blah, blah. So whenever you're doing anything now, you can't, like, have any, like, trial because you're judged so hard. So it's, and, and like, if you try something, everyone's like, well, oh, you suck. And there's this whole mm-hmm. this thing of, like, 
I'm not I'm not saying it's all negative, but because we live in a microscope beyond now, that I think that that's kind of what it is. Like I have done some things that people have liked, and I've done some things that people hate, and certain things that people hate they are 100% warranted to hate. But other times, you try things, and if they don't work, they don't work. It's not like. <laughs> but that's that's very much the way you know. Uh, when everybody gets their own anonymous voice, people run out yeah. of good things to say very quickly. It turns out, and, and I think they even lose track themselves. Yeah, and it's a, totally, and it's a testament to to them. I mean, what they say. If somebody says something, you know, we're mirrors of each other, right? And you know. Listen, it, it took me a while, and, like, now I see all these celebs getting in Twitter wars and stuff, and it's just, like, I still, very once in a while, you wake up on a bad day, you see somebody, you just flew 15 hours, and you see somebody, and you're like, Ugh! and, like, you might hit 10, you know. You, mm. But at the, most of the time, it's it's because of you're feeling bad, and, and then they can get you, you know what I mean? And it's like, there's a minute where you're like, okay, there's some truth to what they're saying, or am I that person? And I think that you just you can't give it too much weight because if you do, you'll spend your whole day. I spend my whole day fighting trolls, mm, which which is an easy trap to get sucked into. I think you know we've all yeah. got our and our I used innie... to feel, and the last thing I'll say is this, I used to feel like oh man me, but then once I started seeing the people I love like. Robert De Niro had, like, negative comments on IMDb. I'm like, Robert De Niro? You can't ever say anything bad about him. Like, And these people that are, I think are amazing. So then I said, oh, all bets are off. You know, credibility is lost. Oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we've all we've all got an, an inner Buddy Hutchins that we're always trying to keep in check. <laughs> but if you listen to the Internet, it's all just trying to bait you to come out. Because like I said, when, yeah. you're, when you're an anonymous voice, it's real easy to scream and, and yell and uh, you know say things that you really don't even believe. You just want a reaction. Yeah, I think people want a reaction. I think they're naturally negative. I think they're bitter at their own lives. And I think there's actually really good criticism, too. I mean, when there's really good criticism, that's also I'd like to hear. But it seems the problem is a lot of it gets lost within the hate, you know, and then... Uh, you know, like the Perez Hilton's of the world who started negative, now he's not. But it's like he made his whole career on, like, ripping down people. Yeah. So I'm not saying there's not good comedy in it. But I'm just saying it's like you have to be accountable, too. Like, that's what, you know, these people, some of these people aren't. Yeah. And I think part of human nature, we're never going to we're never gonna have a world where each YouTube video has three concise, constructive comments on it. That's just never going to happen. Dude, we live in a world where I saw a video of these cute cats and the kittens, and it had like it had like a thousand dislikes. Who dislikes nice kittens? I mean, what did the kittens do? <laughs> That's what it's I'm true. saying. It's true. So. And it's you know, and some of those people might have they were having their bad day. They were dealing with their own. We'll call them trolls, even if it might be you know a screaming baby that won't let them sleep, a boss that doesn't understand them. If we've all got our own, you know, inner inner trolls, but then it's so easy yeah. to go ahead and take it out on stuff on the internet, which is where they it's become true. the real trolls. It's true, and I'm and I have done that myself at times. But after going through it and being in the business, 
you know, 20 years, and I've learned now. So, you know, it's not just this business, it's life in general. But, yeah, you get perspectives. So, But as long as people can admit it, I'm fine with it. <laughs> well, well, that's, I, I want to thank you for making that uh, that movie. Uh, I think it was like uh, 2007, I think. Uh, yeah, 2008 came out there. But I gotta say again, I want to mention that I I saw it on TV not too long I think after it came out on Sundance Channel or something. But when I started about a week or two ago to try and get myself a copy so I could watch it again, it, you know, I figured it was a great excuse to do that. I can't find it anywhere, literally like not even on Amazon. They won't even sell it to me. How is there is there some kind the of critics backlash? If you send this? me. I don't know. I think the, I think the distributor went belly up. I'm trying to get the rights back. But if you if you send me your address to my sister Isabel, I'll send you one. How about that? I will absolutely take you up on that. Yeah. Oh, I, that I'm already stuff. drafting an email to her. That's it. Well, <laughs> well, thank you very much. But I, uh, you know, I for some it just it occurred to me like while I'm trying to find it, like maybe he fell victim to a cabal of powerful internet trolls, and now they've. You know, they've North korea this thing right off the Internet. That's funny. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think the distributor went belly up. I'm, I'm trying to get the rights back, so stay tuned okay. on that. All right. Well, well, I will because I, I love that piece. I think, I think that's an important, uh, it's an important subject, and I think, and you said it well, the timing was perfect. That's when, you know, the just the dynamics of the performer and the uh, the audience was changing so much because of the internet, and so it was, yeah. Thank God you you had uh, you had a chance to 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 put your two cents into that conversation, and I think we should all watch it and be a little, either a little smarter or a little more quiet on the internet, whichever. And uh, you know who you are. Yeah, people are listening to this. They should watch it and give their two cents. But it's thoughtful, mm-hmm. constructive two cents. Yep, I can already see our comment section swelling up on this uh, on this episode. Lots of <laughs> spawn of uh, Hitler, and uh, all right, I, I'm, not, I'm not even going to quote the kind of vitriol that they do there. Beyond that, I also want to talk about the Jamie Kennedy experiment. Have go for it. Uh, it was it was so much fun to see, and I think and because it ran in syndication. Uh, for so long, I kind of was under the impression that that show lasted like ten years. I was like, God, he's got to be busy. <laughs> I didn't no, realize you guys did only did a couple of seasons, but you did a lot yeah. of material for that show. Yeah, we did a bunch of jokes, and uh, it was in it was in four seasons, and yeah, you know, we would have went longer, but you know the network kind of got bought and they canceled and. But it was a very great time, creative time in my life, and uh, I'm always love it. And you know, it's one of uh, the cornerstones of who I am. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm I'm curious. Uh, maybe I'm just making this up in my head, but I picture like even today, if you and Ashton Kutcher end up at a party together, the two of you are just kind of watching each other out of the side of your eye, just like, is he up to something? <laughs> um. I've only met him twice, but I think we kind of that look for a second. He's done more than just <laughs> punks, but yeah, he's definitely known for that. But yeah, well, I think that's well, and you've done happen. more than just the Jamie Kennedy experiment. But it doesn't yeah. mean I trust either one of you. Yes, <laughs> we both have uh, tricks up our sleeves. 
<laughs> well, um, what what else have you got going on now? Because I actually, I, I forget how it how it ended up happening this way. While I was out looking for Heckler, I somehow stumbled across the Hungover Games, and uh, uh-huh. and it wasn't until and I didn't even realize you were a part of that until well, Where'd first you I saw you pop up in a role. I saw that one on on Amazon on Amazon Prime. If you've got Amazon wow. Prime, everybody listening, you can catch the hunger, the Hungover Games right now, which I know you're probably all sick of those, you know, airplane type parody movies that are actually horrible, uh-huh. like the Spartans and stuff. Uh-huh. This one I actually thought was pretty funny. I'm not super uh, you familiar know with the Hunger Games, but the Hangover I know well enough, and I think you guys hit all the right notes and the 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 cast that you got to do these guys was awesome. Thank you. I, you know, I think it. I, yeah, I think we tried pretty good on that one. I mean, it was released by Sony on uh, VOD and, and never came out theatrically with spoof of. It's basically we took the Hangover guys and they woke up from their party and they ended up in Panem, which is, you know, and they were one of the 12 groups in the Hunger Games. It's called the Hungover Games. And that's a spoof, but there's a lot of, I think, good jokes in there. And I pop up in a couple of roles. And um, somebody came to us, and we produced it, and we wrote it, and, um, you know, it's a little movie. But um, it's fun. So I did that. That's out right now, like, um, you know, the streaming services, like iTunes and Amazon. And then there's Buddy, which is actually out, but Buddy's coming out on Redbox on um, March 28th. But right now you can go to Amazon Prime, and you can go to um, you can go to iTunes. And uh, then I just finished... Tremors, which is the fifth Tremors, but I think it's going to be called something else. And that's going to come out in October, and that was with Universal. And I'm really excited because I saw some of it yesterday, and it's really like the effects look pretty big, so I'm pretty excited about it. Nice. I was just having a conversation with a, with a buddy the other day about, about, the, about the original Tremors, I, and I was completely unaware oh. that uh, that that the franchise was marching on. Excellent. I'm definitely going to check that out. Oh, yeah, you'll check it out. And uh, then when we're ready to do more press, I'll call you and you'll tell me what oh, you think. You, you absolutely, you can count on that. You know, assuming well, I've got my copy of Heckler. The Hungover Games has 686 reviews. Holy crap. Ooh, careful. I wouldn't go reading too many of those. <laughs> well, it's about two and a half stars, but the fact that that many people saw it, holy crap. <laughs> there, there it is, so ladies and gentlemen. Stupid. Humble awesome. to the end. <laughs> did, did you did you assume no one was watching your movies? <laughs> well, it's funny because there's a whole world out there, and the whole thing with Buddy Hutchins and all this stuff right now, bro, is that I'm doing every interview I'm doing. I ain't doing Letterman. I'm not doing Seth Meyers. And you do that stuff when you do more mainstream stuff. So well, independent. I've probably done 50 interviews for this thing. And it's all podcasts. It's all underground blogs. But I find that they're much more connected than just big mainstream because mainstream people just, these are super fans who are hungry for shit, you know? So I, I find that, you know, you get to the, the root of the tree before it grows, these are great roots. Hey, hey, you're you're preaching to the choir here. 
You just you just wait and see your yeah. buddy Hutchins numbers just quadruple after this goes on. I hope. I hope. Yeah, maybe I shouldn't have made but, that promise either. But over time, yeah, grassroots, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Well, this is that was. Um, I, I got to be honest. Hearing you say that, that, that sincerity and surprise in your voice, that that was that filled me with hope for the future of of Hollywood. Why? There's it's it's like real people out there like you that are doing this. I mean, I I assumed you know once you hit a certain level of success, you don't get excited about about further success. You you know. Uh, you kind of you make the movie, you put it out there, you float it down the river, and then you just move on or something. I don't, I don't know. I wasn't picturing like a real human response, like, oh, somebody liked my Facebook post, kind of idea, but on a grander scale. Yeah, you never know. You know, it's like you do it, and then sometimes I do things, and I've done. Sometimes I'll do a couple things, and I don't care about them, and then there's other times, and I really do. And, the Hungover Games was just a little movie we did, but we really worked hard on it. But the fact that it has 700 reviews on Amazon, so put it like this. Heckler, which I love, right? Mm-hmm. And I worked really hard on that. was my baby. Oh, yeah, that was an incredibly movie. personal movie. Yes. Heckler only has 57 reviews. <laughs> it's been out for six years. That bums me out. Well, Hungover Games has been out for a year, and it's got 700. So somewhere... It's making inroads, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And I think, and part of it is, it's the new model. The streaming, I think, makes a huge difference. Back in the old days, yeah. you would recommend a movie to a friend. If they took it seriously enough, your recommendation, then they would have to go out, find a, the time, the place, transport themselves there. Uh, but now, literally, if you and I are just having a phone call and I say, oh, you got to check this movie out, without getting off the phone you could probably queue it up on a laptop or a smart TV and less than two hours after I've mentioned the movie, you've seen it. Yeah, I I did that. I just watched all of Sons of Anarchy. That was the first time I ever literally started on a TV and I was like an iPad in the airport and like an (laughs) iPhone in the cab. I was so addicted. (laughs) And I'd never done that. And I was like, this is exactly what a commercial like, wants it to be. And I did it. And I was like, wow, like, it was that good. And I, and, I, and it, it was no different than any other, any else. So I was pretty excited about it. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's the new model now. Jamie Kennedy, everybody. Thank you. And send me your stuff. And I will definitely send you a copy of Heckler. And if anybody wants to follow me, you can hit me on at Jamie Kennedy on Twitter the Jamie Kennedy on Instagram or Jamie Kennedy on Facebook. Thank you, sir. Have a good one. Oh, right, you too. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks a lot, man. that commercial. <laughs> I don't know if you guys remember, there was like this little Pepsi alien back then. And he was just like, oh, joy. He would always say that when you were about to drink some Pepsi.
Yep, yep. That's a forgotten corporate icon right there. Well, even uh, back in those days, Pepsi owned uh, KFC, uh, Pizza Hut, and Taco Bell. And so when Phantom Menace came out, uh, they all three of those restaurants and Pepsi all had Phantom Menace stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a lot of <laughs> the disproportionate amount of hate to love that we hear uh, from Phantom Menace and then what would extend to the prequel trilogy of Star Wars was, I think, a result of just this appearance of just over-promotion. I mean, Phantom Menace in 1999 yeah. was You don't think it everywhere. was over-promoted, though? Uh, I well, think that's where some of the hatred I think that's where it came from. from. Yes. Yeah. Well, it, because it was overpromoted. It and basically it was, created. They this... made us wait too long for it, too. But well, sure. But we'll, I, we'll talk I think more it, about that with Bradley. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It, it definitely did. It it definitely uh, it it elevated that movie to a perch that maybe to some it couldn't achieve. No. It was never going to. Yeah. So. But yeah. yeah. What do you think about that? Or at the very least, it it didn't. Judging by <laughs> yeah. a lot of reaction. Nonetheless, there's still plenty to enjoy in that movie. Uh, it, it, like I said, we'll talk to Bradley all about that. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, in the meantime, Jamie Kennedy, great interview. I I still I actually still have to get a hold of him to get my copy of Heckler. I can, yeah, I'm going to have to because I've actually not seen Heckler. Um, but it sounds like just this is a fantastic movie. Yeah, it's it's a great concept. I think it was years ago. I was flipping through channels, just found it on IFC uh-huh. or something. I was real. I count myself lucky to have seen it. Uh, and it it goes in line so much with where where the where the internet's going now with mm-hmm. anonymity and you know. I just heard about uh, this new just about a year ago. It was valued at like you know uh, 150 million dollars. This new social uh, media company. Their whole thing was uh, we're going to base it all on anonymity, uh-huh. and it's like Facebook with no names or something. What's the point? And it and it sounded great. They got all kinds of investors. Like I said, like 150 million dollars. A couple weeks ago, they pulled the plug on it. Why? Like the people said, no, it's not going to work. We tried putting it up live. It just turns into horrible, racist, <laughs> sexist. <laughs> yeah, you, you can't have people be anonymous and do anything productive. It seems. Well, and you so, know, and um, the, yeah, hundred and fifty million dollar mistake, but we 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 did relearn that lesson. It's and it'll happen again and again and again, you know. And I think what's kind of funny is that the um, Jamie Kennedy movie Heckler uh, was this example of like a guy kind of who's had enough about it. He's like, these guys are heckling me. Let's let's just bring them out. You know, yeah. let's just let's just bring them out here. Yeah. And well, not exactly like the like the uh, 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 Jay and Silent Bob movie where they say, "All right, right, let's go around the country and kick their asses." Which was awesome. He's like, "I want to <laughs> yeah. find out." And you know, the the idea behind Heckler was, "I want to find out why they are attacking me personally." Correct. I can see why they'd want to attack a bad movie. I can see why they'd want to attack a bad performance. But this is when people on the internet start saying, "I just saw the mass too." I'm going to go to Jamie Kennedy's house and shove a vacuum cleaner up his ass. <laughs> yeah. You know, shit so like bad. there's no good reason for people to react that way, but it started happening and it's still going on in the internet. Well, so he was he immediately said, "Well, I want to I want to figure this out. Yeah. I want to know why." And I don't know that, you know, it's it's we didn't get a satisfying answer, but that's why, well, that's it, why it's still I don't worth think it has an answer about. though. Yeah. This is just um uh, uh, um, 
I'm always very careful. Well, I try to be as careful as possible to not downplay what someone's criticism is. And if you have a productive way to deliver that criticism, it, it's actually very helpful. So that's fine. You know, uh, your experiences matter for the most part. But if you're just kind of lobbing hate for hate's sake, um, I don't really see that as being very productive. And you just shouldn't really bring it here, you know. And um, the one of the major problems with our Internet culture is that it allows for a lot of that vitriol to be spewed from an anonymous, faceless, physically absent source. Yeah. Whereas before, if you wanted to stand up in the middle of a comedy show and you wanted to heckle, let's say, Damon Wayans, he might leap off that stage and kick your ass yeah. or do it to Joe Rogan, for example. You know, <laughs> good luck. You know, like it's it's um, it, typically not the way you want to handle hecklers, and we've seen it devolve with Michael Richards and stuff. Not what you want to do is is somehow incorporate them into the flow instead of stopping the show and attacking them and making it just a fight between two people, which is the difference between the internet, where you all you can do is just hear this and you can shout back if you want, uh -huh. but it doesn't change anything. Yeah, and, and I guess what I was trying to get at was that it's. At the very least, like if, if you were to look at a bully from old school, you know, mm -hmm. from when you used to have to go to somebody and, you know, bully them, there was at least a threat of a punch in the face, mm -hmm. whether it's from a puny kid or whatever. You know, there was at least that possibility that there would be some kind of physical, you know, some kind of altercation, mm -hmm. some kind of consequence. I miss the danger of bullying. Exactly. <laughs> the little rush you get, you know. <laughs> but so, but now it's it seems to me that... Uh, Without that kind of physical um, barrier, um, then you just have this just – it's just coming from all angles now, and it's very misdirected. It's very unfair. And it's where it crosses the line from criticism to just hatred. Hatred. Haters. are going to hate, hate, hate. Yeah. Well, critics, I think, have an important job. Sure. I, I, have nothing, I have nothing against critics, even ones whose opinions I don't agree with. Mm -hmm. uh, but if I don't agree with your opinion that – Someone who posted a cat video on YouTube is the reincarnation of Hitler. <laughs> that That's not a discussion. That's not a back and forth that you can have with somebody. Yeah. So there's no point in even reading any of that. Mm -hmm. But it's still going to exist, and it's going to exist in volumes. Now, how this relates to the prequels, mm. that is a trickier one. Yeah. Like we said, you know, there's no way Phantom Menace could have ever lived up to the hype that it gave itself. George Lucas kind of shot himself in the foot that way by making us wait 20 years. Well, it's, no. you know, if you call off Christmas 20 years in a row, that better be one hell of a big tree when you finally bring it back. But to I think but therein lies the problem is that to some people that Christmas tree was awesome and yet to some they're complaining about the color of the light bulbs. Oh, it's got to be it's got to be a better Christmas tree than but ever again, had been seen before. That's to some. But how can you do that? But but yes, but to a majority, in uh, in my opinion, to a majority of Star Wars fans, the prequels did achieve a lot of the expectation that was expected of it, and it did uh, it did advance the story in the way that was expected and appreciated, and it also gave a lot of us fans just unmatched characters and scenarios and scenes 
that even at the time, like in live action in 1999, we were enthralled. And, you know, still to this day, I have not seen a movie in a theater as many times as I've seen The Phantom Menace. Fourteen times. That sounds just ridiculous. I know, but I could not stop going. I wanted to see it because it was like this is the only Star Wars I, that, I, that I had in the last, you know, 10 years or whatever. Mm-hmm. But it was like, you know, I, I remember you and I were in Albuquerque at, at the time. You and I went to the midnight show. And I remember walking out of there completely just in awe of what I saw. I didn't have one piece of negativity about it immediately after. I do remember you immediately complaining about Jar Jar. It was the first thing you said. You're like, oh, that guy was so annoying. Yeah, but it was like you were – there was still popcorn in your teeth. You were just like, oh, Jar Jar was annoying. Yeah. Yeah. You just could not get over it. It left a taste in my mouth. Yeah. 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 It's it's not like I – I do not go on the internet and attack the prequels. I do not say Jar Jar is – you know, Jar Jar is is Hitler. Someone's (laughs) got to murder George Lucas. Those things have been written many, many, many yep, times by many, many, many people on the internet. I don't take it that far, but I can say, you know, uh, it would be a better movie without Jar Jar. And I stand sure. by that, but I consider that criticism. Sure. That's not hatred. I agree. And there is a line. And now you have uh, the the people who are critical you have the people who are defending, mm-hmm. and then you also have the people on the internet who just want to hate. And I think it's important to recognize all three groups. Right. And there seems to be – there's now over all uh, – having all these years gone by with the with the new movie coming out and all that excitement that just seems to have been relit. There's a, there's a new fire in the galaxy. But – it seems now that there's also another group that is really trying to identify that and kind of qualify the fandom in terms of the prequels. And they're trying to use a literary kind of method to highlight just how great those movies are. All right. You're talking about the, the new Star Wars ring theory, well, right? It's the ring theory – as applied to Star Wars, right. it's just, this goes way back. This is down in the Bible. I mean, this is uh, ring theory in literature has been going on forever, but this is really the first and so far only time that you have seen the ring theory um, uh, uh, put together through six films. Well, it's again, an amazing again I want to underline theory there. Well, sure, but all theories work in the same way. It's it, they may or may not be true is how theories work. Correct. So we don't know if this is true, but there is like a, a an, an essay out there making the rounds on the internet, mm-hmm. which tries to. And I'm not going to get into all the details. Essentially, it says that the the films of the first three and the films of the prequels are related. Uh, uh, episode four is related to episode. Three episode two is related to episode six. I I no you see and okay it, so no but you you have, you but have to kind of look they at are it. linking and that uh and again don't want to get too much in the details yeah. you can look it up Star Wars ring theory well uh, no but for the but it says, for the purposes of this conversation that we're about to have with Bradley it's important to kind of see at least the the basics behind the the ring theory is that 
it is a, it's basically a fall. It's a descent. It's a descent, and then it's an, an ascension. So the um, episode one corresponds with six, two, with five, three, with four. So you kind of, and if you're watching the movies, you kind of start to see even in from the opening takes how the camera will either pan up or it'll pan down. And that's kind of telling you the direction of the film. And then it's when you look at them all, and when you read this article, the evidence is pretty daunting. And again, gravity is still a theory, I believe. So theories do have a lot of, you know, evolution is a theory. You know, theories can have a lot of weight to them depending on the evidence that is presented. And if you read this, this paper, the evidence as presented by Mike Climo, and you guys can um, you got, definitely search this and read this, it is very compelling in how you can put things together in a thematic sense and in a scene-by-scene -scene sense and see how this whole thing just really just kind of makes sense and how it's like laid out. Um, particular performances aside, <laughs> particular characters aside, it's a massive accomplishment in filmmaking. And that's what the ring theory is trying to do. It's basically saying, hey, here you are. This might be why you like it so much. Now let's try to get some more people to like it a little bit more. Well, I don't know. Which which just screams apologist to me. But we're not apologizing. Exactly. I yeah. don't think I don't think you should have to. No, we're not. Yeah. yeah. It's just look, check out how cool this is. Isn't that neat? Yeah. Yeah. Here, here's something that you have watched and you think you know, but it turns out you don't, and you had to work a lot harder to appreciate it. And I just don't like that. I want my Star Wars to be entertaining. I want to sit down and get everything that's in that movie on the viewing. Say, hey, this I just enjoyed watching Star Wars. I don't want to think about it. But being... those are different things. Like, you know, your ability to like something can exist at the same time that you don't like Jar Jar Binks, right? Because I'm sure you you must have loved Darth Maul. We all do, right? Did, I'm sure you did, right? Yeah, I, I'm not complaining about yeah. Darth Maul. Yeah, but, you know, so it's like this thing where it's, you know, um, you can still get massive enjoyment, hopefully, out of mm -hmm. particulars in the movie. Um, but what this is doing is basically saying, look, there might be some things that you didn't quite notice. So check this out. And even as a diehard fan, I didn't even notice a lot of this stuff. So it was, it was, it's an exceptional read. Uh, and this guy, Bradley, he just decides to kind of uh, tell him a little bit about Bradley. Well, uh, you're talking about Bradley Weatherholt. Uh -huh. He's doing a, uh, he's, he's funding on Indiegogo his documentary, uh, The Prequel Strike Back, mm -hmm. which is prequel defending and, uh, and talks about the ring theory and, I'm sure it talks about other things, and when it's finished, we'll find out. Mm -hmm. But uh, here's here's a guy who thinks it's important. Let's keep having this discussion. Yeah. And what? And the only thing, and he even acknowledges, the only thing you're going to do is get the people who are overly critical of it to maybe be less critical of Correct. it. Correct. You are not going to make people love the movie. You are not going to make people who are spewing hate on the internet stop spewing hate on the internet. There's very little you can actually do with this. I think I and I you can't move this scale very much. And you we, really can't. We just recorded this interview, uh, so it's fresh in my mind what I think this movie will do. So why don't we play it, and we'll come back and we'll see if I we'll see if you agree with me. 
and what I think that this movie will will accomplish. All right, everybody, uh, let's uh, magic interview machine take us over to Bradley Weatherholt. All right. Uh, hey, everybody. Thanks for joining us, and a big thank you to uh, Bradley for yeah. joining us as well. The, Bradley Weatherholt, uh, uh, the uh, soon the, to be infamous, the, the guy behind the project we were just talking about, the the prequels uh, Strike Back. Uh-huh. Uh, you're getting funding for this documentary, and I think this is probably more Marquis Arena yeah. because there are those out here who would say. This is sort of a this this documentary about the prequel Star Wars movies is sort of a bible for prequel apologists. We're not we're not apologizing, which is <laughs> which is why I'm going to hand it over to you then. <laughs> Describe to me then why why this uh why you guys feel this uh this documentary should be made. What what segment is it speaking to? Go ahead, Bradley. Yeah, so that's a a, a really good question because it's it's really a difficult thing to discuss because you say one thing and then, you know, one side fires at you. Then you say another and the other side fires at you. And one of the things that we kept getting was from the prequel defenders is that, you know, this is, you know, is this a big apology for this or is, you know, what's, what's your tone. And that's something that we've spent a lot of time trying to discern is how, you know, how we're going to present this material because, you know, we don't want to be, um, condescending or uh, we don't want to be combative. Um, really, I mean, we're taking a look at it, like a big picture look at the Star Wars prequels. And to do that, uh, you, you, you can't really do that without bringing to light a lot of these theories that are outside, you know, the mainstream, you know, boo jar jar stuff that, that kind of dominates uh, the fan community and definitely the internet. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think uh, specifically one thing you're uh, you're referring to, which might be the uh, the holy grail for for a lot of I'm sorry negativity uh, uh, prequel defenders oh. is this uh, new Star Wars ring theory. Yeah. Right, right, right. Yeah, it's it's kind of uh, it's a good segue theory, I think, into a lot of uh, you know film theory that surrounds the prequels, uh, and the documentary would present it like that because it's largely how it was presented to me. So I, I stumbled upon the ring theory, and from it I kind of uh, you know, branched out and was able to um, give the prequels a new light that I may not have been as welcoming to do a year or maybe two years ago. You know, as uh, I, I believe that I am firmly the audience that this is trying to rally right now. Um, and it's something that I think that we – when when we find ourselves as you know prequel defenders um i think that we don't we definitely don't want to upset the people that are diehard fans and we are um we're afraid about not about excluding people we want everybody into this conversation so whenever we're here to defend the prequels we're not here to kind of knock what you feel or knock what you believe. But the thing that we kind of notice is that some of the people out there who don't like the prequels are taking a real kind of defensive kind of personal posture against the prequels. Like it, like if they somehow took something away from them and their original understanding. Well, I think um, here's where it, it feeds into our, into our larger theme. The show is, is that internet trolling 
are these people right. who actually may maybe they do like the movies, but they would rather on the internet come out and just say, "Nope, this sucks." Jar Jar Binks made me go set fire to all my old Star Wars VHS tapes. <laughs> is, it, is, is that even true? Uh, I, I'm I'm going to say yes, Bradley. What do you think? Yeah, I, I'm going to say yes too. I mean, I think there's a lot of groupthink that comes with the internet, and I think um, a lot of people that watch the prequels initially. Uh, they may have had, you know, a quip or, or something that they may not have, you know, been enthusiastic about pertaining to the prequels. But I think whenever they were exposed to this uh, almost like dogma on the internet, it it kind of shaped their way of thinking, and it kind of became, oh, you know, Jar Jar was, you know, he kind of was a little ridiculous. To I hate this creature with you know with with all my heart and i kind of experienced that a little bit and i didn't even really know it was happening to me until i kind of started exploring the other theories and and you know it's it's not quite i guess one of the big points that needs to be made is it's there still is a very valid debate for for the star wars prequels and there's still a very uh like the the haters will Make it seem like like it, it's already over, like you know the discussions ended, and that's far. That couldn't be any farther from the truth. That's exactly right. <laughs> well, where 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 then are we taking this discussion? Well, so like, there's a couple of different ways to to tackle it. So we're going to tackle it from like what's the the fan criticisms, um, and one of the big angles that we'll take on this, and it's it's kind of ironic, is that. The the criticisms that you now find from the fans are the same exact criticisms that the uh, like the intellectual community were waylaying towards the original trilogy. So like you know the 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 bad acting or the uh, you know the cheesy plot or, or uh, dialogue. Yeah, <laughs> the, the dialogue and and uh, I mean it's it's endless. I mean the, the list is endless, and you can almost take these you know like pseudo sophisticated couch critics that uh that are you know kind of offering these criticisms and juxtapose them to like a new york times review or or some some review uh whenever the original trilogy came out and it they're strikingly similar and so there's you know the film will kind of explore like how you know how could it be the case that you can see it with one you know one lens and not the other and then we're also going to take a look at from a critical standpoint and why, um, you know, some of the uh, attacks at the original trilogy and the prequel trilogy are maybe missing the point. You know, uh, Mike and I have talked uh, about uh, you. You have, you know, normal Hollywood is kind of this these this prose cinema, and something like Star Wars really is like poetry. And some of the criticisms that are provided is is like a misreading of of poetry as prose and it i don't know it kind of it's maybe not i mean maybe it's not like the uh an incorrect angle to view it but it's definitely underselling a very significant thing that's going on with you know the entire star wars saga and definitely the prequels as well well here let me play devil's advocate for a second here yeah yeah and say that if someone has to come out and explain to the audience at large, you're not understanding this. You're not getting it. 
doesn't that fall more you know on the shoulders of the filmmaker than the audience i would yeah i think the burden of proof is is on us uh, because like you said i mean we're the ones that are making the case but it's one of the, someone keeps or not someone many people keep saying oh if this is you know if this is good then why do you have to make something that defends it and it's it's like I, that's not really uh, that argument doesn't really stand on its own feet because you know why would you have a documentary about you know veganism or something like that uh, or why would you like you, you can make a documentary about why global warming is dangerous and then someone could make the criticism oh well if it's so dangerous why do you have to make a documentary that that proves it to the you know the ignorant masses or whatever it may be. Well, try flipping flipping it around and say if you know I haven't searched Indiegogo for this, but I seriously doubt, despite all the internet trolling and the and the popular pastime of hating the prequels, I don't <laughs> think anyone's making a documentary about how bad they were. Oh no, I would definitely disagree with that. That's it's been uh, it's been done. There's numerous many, little trailers yeah. and stuff out there that are just pointing out just well, I think about like it. little things like that. Yeah. I would group under uh, under uh, you know internet trolling. Well, I would, Which obviously I, these I don't, series are a victim yeah. to. Yeah, I mean, I think there's definitely a, a lot of internet trolling, and that you know kind of plagues the debate. But then there's also been uh, you know like very constructed arguments against it. One of them is like Red Letter Media's Mr. Plinkett's reviews. Mm-hmm. They are incredibly popular. They're Matter funny fact, too. I actually oh, enjoy them a lot. Oh, I, I love them. <laughs> yeah, I, I think like, they're hilarious. Yeah, they, I mean, they, they are hilarious, um, and. There's that, and then there's also, uh, I mean, there's there's a whole wealth of, of articles or uh, lamentations on the Star Wars prequels. Well, but, I mean, but you know, you know what though, he, you could basically make one of those plinket reviews about the Godfather or about anything. You know, it's like, and that's kind of the argument that I have found myself in as a defender of the prequels is that I, and this is why I I feel that this particular project is so refreshing in that it's trying to do the opposite of what I tend to have to do. And what I mean by that is I try to prove to you that the original trilogy is just as bad as you're telling me the prequel is. You know, it's like there's similar dialogue in A New Hope. There's similar acting basically throughout, you know, like there's similar, it's it's basically the same story as the ring theory kind of hashes out for you. So I end up having to kind of drag the trilogy through the mud a little bit just to kind of, just to kind of point out that you are, you have it with, within you as a fan to look past all this stuff in the original trilogy, but yet in, you don't give it a second chance in the prequel trilogy. And that's kind of what this thing is doing. It's kind of saying, hey, you guys like this. It's in front of you. And you're just kind of jumping on this kind of negative bandwagon. You know, you're just kind of piling onto this because it's kind of the kind of, it was kind of like the thing to do. I don't know. Oh, I, yeah, I, I absolutely agree. And, and uh, it's funny because, you know, one of the, one of the most entertaining parts to me about the red letter reviews is the, how he kind of breaks down some of the plot holes uh-huh. and uh, particularly the Phantom Menace. And there, I mean, it's hilarious because it's stuff that, you know, I wouldn't have thought of. Um, and, but at the same time, if you go back and watch the original trilogy, like, I, I mean, think about the plot hole of, I mean, at the beginning of A New Hope where the whole Death Star is under lockdown trying to find these droids that have these, you know, plans for the Death Star's, you know, map so the rebels could blow it up. And then 
they just let you know they just let this escape pod go by that has no life form in it. Just I guess for the economy of not you know using their laser batteries. <laughs> yeah. like, That's a good just, joke. I remember that in uh, Family Guy. It's right, a weird joke. It just makes no sense. But you don't. You are able to suspend your your disbelief um, for, for those, and you. I, you should be able to allow yourself for the prequels as well, but you're not if you're not, you know, kind of buying into it in the way, like, it. so, you know, you may not like the prequel trilogies, like, as a subjective taste, and that's, there's nothing I can really do to change your mind on that. I mean, I'm going to try and, and try and give you some different ways of, uh, of viewing it, um, but at the end of the day, I mean, you can... I've said this before, and I'll say it again. You can go on about you know high protein content or um, omega three fatty acids, but I can't make you like the taste of fish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, I can give you its benefits, but you, I, I mean, it's ultimately some aesthetic thing. But that's not that's not film criticism. If you're saying that you don't like something, that's not a legitimate film criticism. Well, and you know, I, I've. Um... But I think it should count as legitimate audience criticism. And I also, um, which is another example of how the Star Wars is a unique kind of microcosm where we can discuss it like this. You even used the term earlier, fan criticism, which is actually an oxymoron. You shouldn't have anything called fan <laughs> criticism. Yeah. But in Star Wars, it has created that. And there is obviously a schism now between the first three that came out, episodes four, five, six and then the prequel, one, two, three. And maybe it's because we loved those first three movies so much, and then George Lucas just made us wait 20 years. And I think that I think you are onto so something, actually. So if it actually. wasn't, it, it should have been ten times better no. than the original trilogy. There is something, and I, I think that there's, there is something going on right now in the Star Wars world that is really exciting, and that is that the Star Wars fan base is becoming younger. It's a lot younger than it was in 1999. And so what's what's happening and this was this was the main point of my defense of the prequels back in back in uh, the in the early 2000s was that the reason why you're seeing the prequels in like this negative way is because you are an adult now. The original trilogy was made for kids. It's just it was made for kids so that adults can sit through it. And so all of us grew up in the 70s and in the 80s just absolutely enamored with it. But we were kids then. And so when a similar movie comes out, when we're in our 20s and our 30s, some of us are in our 40s, it's, we don't quite see it with the same perspective. You know, an amazing thing, the mind of a child is what Yoda says, right? Mm -hmm. you know? And so we, we, we kind of don't see it like, like in the same way. And so we see it as childish and kind of elementary and we see the dialogue as such. But it was it was the same thing back then, except we were kids too. And so what's happening now in this like Star Wars world is that the fan base is getting younger and they're they are drawing their first real fandom not from the original trilogy, but from the prequels and from the Clone Wars and from now the Rebels and from comic books or from whatever or from you know but it's that's what's happening now and so there's no real better time to kind of put something like this out there because maybe in our uh, mature, you know, our critical kind of thinking, we maybe missed something. 
And when I say we, I mean you guys. Um, (laughs) I feel like I got it the whole time. But no, I think that – so why not have something that kind of points something out so you kind of have an understanding for why it was in the movie in the first place? And if it can give you just a little bit more of an appreciation, at at the very least, can we just knock off all the Jar Jar Binks jokes? It's the the easiest – Well, but that tells you something right there. It tells you that it's really easy and it's – uh, you know, we just um, we were at Star Wars Celebration about a month ago, and it seems like the like one go to joke if you just want to just poke at the beast, make a Jar Jar joke, and it's like for uh, a real like a diehard fan, you know, people that just kind of like it all. Um, well, we, that doesn't sound like a discerning fan. That just sounds like someone, George Lucas, could just put a scrolling yellow script in front of him taking a dump, and they would go line up to see it. No, well, no, no, no. But it's like the, well, allow me to get to my point here, is that, um, you know, a lot of us see Jar Jar bashing as coming from people that don't know enough about it, because that's just kind of, that is the lowest rung. You know, that's just... You know, and, and in a and in an odd twist of fate, that is precisely why Jar Jar is in the movie. He's right. to represent that, and he takes it, and you guys are all falling into it. Well, <laughs> then it's one thing least, that's working in the movie. He's the least common denominator for like you know people right. hatred, and and it's like you know you said it yourself. I mean, a Jar Jar joke's the only thing you know Republicans and Democrats can agree on. <laughs> yeah, know? yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it, it unifies a lot of fans, and that oh, that Jar Jar, oh, terrible, huh? And that, you know, every every office has one person like that, and it helps morale. <laughs> yeah, but it's kind of to me, and this is going to be blasphemous uh, to a lot of Star Wars fans. But if you if you take a look at Jar Jar, and you and just, I mean, this is just one example of the many things of the prequel trilogy. But if you take a look at Jar Jar, and you realize, okay, this is the you know, this is an archetype. This is Falstaff. This is the, you know, the the fool. And maybe you're a, a annoyed by him now. Like, maybe you are genuinely annoyed and not, like, influenced by kind of the, you know, the, the role he plays. Right, right. The type of person who would be annoyed at that is probably the same type of person who would be annoyed by, you know, C-3PO or someone else in the, the prequel, to, or definitely Ewoks. I mean, yeah. that goes without saying. But the same... It's the same mannerisms, and this they're the same. <laughs> yeah, they're going at the same route. Like, it's Jar Jar and C-3PO or Ewoks or whatever, whatever have you. Like, it's, it's the same thing. And if you find one annoying, then it's really odd to me that you don't find the other ones annoying. And, 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 well, and I think part of it also it. is because it fell to its own hype. After, well, after we as fans waited 20 years, it came out, we're like, wait a minute. At best, this is just a different version of C-3PO. Why would we wait 20 years and stand in line for this? Well, I think, okay, so um, I think the Jar Jar thing is it's it's a oxymoron in the way that he's used to prove or to try to justify that the Phantom Menace was a bad movie because he is a character that was put on screen in the context of the story, he is annoying. Nobody likes him. Nobody wants him around. He is exiled from his own people. He kind of latches on to this one Jedi. He's the, 
And of the two Jedi, one of them doesn't like him. The other one is, 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 is the one who like drags him around. So his whole role is to be annoying and unwanted. And of course, we find some utility in that at the end of the film. So he actually works in a cinematic sense. Yet yeah, it's somehow like, yeah. used to prove that it wasn't a good movie. And I'm like, but he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. He's, and <laughs> Freddie Prince, who said this in the Podcast 66 interview that I just heard, he, he says that Jar Jar Binks is a better uh, – he's a better Falstaff. He's a better drawn-out character than what Shakespeare could have done. And that's in, just in asking way, for trouble. He definitely shouldn't have said that. Oh, but it was genius in the way. He, in, uh, <laughs> I, I, I love the way he said it. Because it's just inflammatory. Though. Well, because um, uh, his his uh, rationale was that Falstaff had no real heart, and at least Jar Jar did. So you 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 basically invest more into the Jar Jar character, which is why you know he actually does have a fan base. People do like Jar Jar. You know, you know, he's not just this kind of selfish roaming fool that Falstaff was. If I read my Shakespeare correctly. Well, some people like pain. That doesn't, doesn't mean <laughs> yeah. that the general audience shouldn't have to put up with that. It's, it's, I, I, in, in my heart of hearts, no matter what people say to me, I think it could have been a better movie if you had worked around the Jar Jar problem and not had him in there. The less screen time I spend watching a movie where I'm annoyed by a character, I think the more I'm going to like the movie. I mean, there's got to be one hell of a payoff if you're going to give me an annoying character. Darth Maul. Uh, I did not find annoying. I, but I was, that, no, as, as as payoff, wasn't that not worth it? Uh, having Darth Maul in the movie? Was, yeah. yeah was, I like that character well, a lot. And was it enough to make up for Jar Jar? No, they're not connected. No, but If you had a movie that didn't have Jar Jar, it would be better than a movie that had Jar Jar. What you're saying my, is... No, I just said what I'm saying. If there, But if it has payoff, then it's worth it. Uh, yeah, Jar Jar didn't have enough payoff for me is my point but as the film did it have payoff for you no okay. jar jar did not have enough payoff in the films to justify it being in there in my opinion okay now just to yeah, put this I'd, down go ahead I'd maybe i'd maybe even like personally uh like i wouldn't say that's the case but i even would you know personally concede that that may or may not be true but is the annoyance of jar jar like a rationale behind like this deep seated hatred or like would would you personally with your whole you know Jar Jar payoff wasn't uh you know the the payoff just wasn't worth having to kind of put up with him being an annoying character um in the way that you know uh, the payoff for yeah, Travis yeah. Bickle being a sociopath pays off for a taxi driver. Yes, exactly. And but but this is where that now I jump over and agree with you because yeah that Still, the annoyance was not enough to make me get down on the computer and start making Hitler comparisons, <laughs> saying that people need to be sterilized if they like this. You know, that kind of, you know, vitriol and Internet trolling. Yeah. No, I don't think Jar Jar is by no means justification for that. Awesome. Yeah, right. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I think we're on the same page. On that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, we're okay. agreeing about okay, a lot so, of things. OK, here. so. Yes. All right. So. Let's just talk about this, like this, as as we as we move past the Phantom Menace thing. Um, and if you look at the Jar Jar character, uh, and Bradley, please an, an, answer this as best as, as you possibly can. Um, <laughs> do you think that George Lucas purposely did that to create the opinions of, say, a Grim Shea here, where it's just he's an annoying character? I don't care. It's not enough to redeem his position in the film. So. 
did George Lucas create that character so that later on, when the Clone Wars comes, Jar Jar basically hands over all the power to who to Palpatine. He hands over all that power to him, basically causes the Emperor. In essence, do you think that Lucas had enough presence of mind to actually give you a character that was so un so unwanted, so unloved, so unappreciated? And you could basically dump the fate of the galaxy on him. I think I, I don't know if it was a master plan from like the stamp, uh, Phantom standpoint, uh-huh. uh, like before he went into Episode One. But I think by Episode Three, he was definitely you know self aware of what people were saying about Jar Jar. And I think that there's definitely you know he may or may not have been in on the joke by letting him by letting Jar Jar you know kind of essentially concede the Empire. Um, but I think. You know, per, I mean, and this is just, I can't back this up, you know, with, with anything. This is just what I read into it, watching the special features or whatever. I think George Lucas really thought Jar Jar was going to be endearing. Like, I think he thought that, like, I know he meant him to be annoying, um, but I, I think he, like, you know, I think he he's charmed by Jar Jar. If you, I mean, if you look at him or, or listen to him uh, on set and he's, you know, he clearly likes the performance, and he clearly, you know, is I, he likes Jar Jar, right? yeah. I, and I, I, I think I think so too. And I think you know, slowly over time, he was like, "Whoa, you know, maybe, you know, I can I can kind of see where it's coming from." But um, so is this like a case of Citizen Kane's mistress being in the opera? <laughs> Could be. It's funny that you brought up Citizen Kane too, because we talk about plot holes. And it's like Citizen Kane, one of the greatest films of all time, has a huge plot hole. You know, how, if the whole entire thing that spurs the general, the journalist looking into Rose Kane's Park. dying words is like, who, who was there to hear that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, how would that, you know, that's a massive plot hole. It's, it's, not, it's not like the greatness of Citizen Kane just comes crumbling down on it. It's still an awesome movie. Mm-hmm. But I, so I, and just to kind of take it back to what we were saying earlier is that some of those, you know, criticisms aren't really. I, yeah, you would be really hard valid. pressed to find any movie that doesn't have a couple plot holes. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And and that's why it's it is it is designed to be a way to project metaphor, life lessons. You know, these are um, plot is a device to move an uh, idea or a concept along, and. They're not going to be perfect, and you could pick apart anything. And what uh, an, another thing that I've used to defend the uh, prequels was try to look at movies as like a scorecard. And if you were to look at the prequels just as you were to the uh, to the original trilogy, you know, look at sure dialogue's important, acting is important, the performances are important, but what about special effects and music? and costumes and makeup and you know like if you just start to go down the line you know uh prequels are scoring tens on some of those they're scoring fours on some of those you know and so you can kind of gain a little bit of you you can gain at least a little perspective on if it's a good set of movies or not and then when you interject this like ring theory thing you start to realize that there are things that maybe you miss and even me as like a diehard fan of this I didn't really notice it either. 
you know, I knew that I was defending something that I thought was great the whole time and that I did think had purpose behind it. You know, I didn't think, as some had said, that George Lucas is raping my culture or like raping my my memories or my childhood. You know, that stuff st- stuff like that was told to him. You know, and um, I always thought that he kind of had like this kind of more grand kind of plan to it. Oh, I agree. I, I think he was definitely going big picture with it, and that's and if you if I like your scorecard metaphor, but or analogy, but I also like to think of it in terms of like just what he was trying to accomplish isn't what you normally try and accomplish with a movie. Like he was clearly trying to create like a mythology, and mythology has contradictions. Mythology is not like bulletproof plot wise, and and like. Yeah, I, I mean, if if you if you go into it like no one's gonna watch a David Lynch movie and be like, wow, the dialogue was weird or something like that. Like <laughs> yeah, this is, yeah. you know, this is what you're, it's what you're getting. Like you're getting a, a Flash Gordon serial movie, like a space opera, and those, the, you know, the criticisms that we might put on the that uh, scorecard are even then like, you know, maybe would kind of miss the point. But at the same time, it goes back to like, I'm not saying that you have to like it now, but it is, you know, it it might be important to just kind of acknowledge, you know, it, it might be a little bit more than just kind of like your basic standard blockbuster. Yeah. This is a, it's a mega accomplishment in cinema that has yet to be done again. I mean, it's a massive concept spanning over six movies with intricate detail in how it's woven together. I mean, it's, it's really amazing. And, uh, you know, definitely looking forward to how you guys put this together. It's, um, you know, I always get real, real basic too. I'm just like, you know, the emperor fights Palpatine in the prequels. That's awesome. Darth Maul. That's awesome. The designs of the ships are awesome. You know, yada, yada, yada. You just go on and on and on. And I've, even in my staunch, my, defense of it i feel myself dumbing the conversation to it which is why i have to drag the original trilogy into the mud i'm so glad that there's like this kind of more academic kind of approach to showing how great these movies are and i do believe that getting this word out there is going to turn a couple of people at least lean them a little bit more or at least soften the punches a little bit well, I think there's there's a few minds in the in the Star Wars. Most people are Star Wars fans, and there are plenty of people who did not enjoy the prequels as much as they enjoyed mm-hmm. the first three movies. Yep. And then what also came out of it was just the sheer hatred, the anonymous internet, you know, I mean, like paramilitary threats on like, <laughs> YouTube comments. <laughs> You know, which I think is a different animal altogether. And I think no matter how good uh, this documentary is going to be, and, and Bradley, I'm sure it's going to be very good, but <laughs> I don't think you're going to turn that away. That is its own little subculture of Star Wars fandom. Sure. I don't think you, you can't erase that. Oh, no, I, I don't think you can erase from society, period. That, that I don't think that that's your goal, Bradley. And I'm going to say <laughs> uh, that w- what this will do is that there are kind of kind of go back to what I said at the beginning of this was there's that the the fan base is younger, and so what a movie like like this will do is that it's going to kind of clear the path a little bit and say, "Hey, it's okay to like those prequels guys. It's okay to come out of the shadows now. you know these are kids that were five years old in nineteen ninety nine right now they're in their twenties, and they're 
you know, it's okay to like Jar Jar. It's okay to like these movies because guess what? Lucas had this awesome grand plan and all these other guys don't even get it, but you get it. So it's it's kind of a cool I, – I think it's a real cool way to kind of open up the doors a little bit and kind of uh, – or maybe get a bigger tent. And that's what I really love about your your particular project. Yeah. And, oh, I, and I, I hope I, that I you can do it better than Mark just did with the you – know, <laughs> let the ring theory seem accessible because the way it's written now, it's kind of difficult – but I think uh, uh, like a visual medium, like a documentary, you could explain it much better, and it, it definitely might help. And by the way, everybody, we still have about a month left of funding for uh-huh. this Indiegogo project, which I'm happy to report is even met its second flex goal. Third. Third flex goal. <laughs> yeah. So what happens when you guys get to 10? Well, yeah, so that's the big thing that we're we're now talking about is trying to incentivize it because it's it's crazy because we're it's not like you could give us, you know, $100,000 and we're going to find we we know what to do with it. And so it's it's hard now going forward. We're about to have new stretch goals uh to, to help incentivize people. Um but there's I as a matter of fact an article is going to come out tomorrow that kind of talks about this too, but it's where at uh, Clone Corridor. They reached out to me this morning, and and uh, she said, you know, hey, do you want to just write anything? And, and it was kind of a convenient time because it allows you know, kind of to be able to talk about the project, but then also, you know, what do we do now? Now that we've reached our goal so quickly, and we just kind of blew expectations. Um, when when we get 10k, we're we're working on a few incentives. You'll see them soon. Uh, but then also, we we want to make sure that like. We're going to be making a better movie, but we also want to be able to give back to the people who've contributed. So we're working on making better perks. So you know, if we if we reach 10k, then we have enough. We have the margin so that we can upgrade DVDs to Blu-rays or you know whatever it may be. Uh, so that way, you know, the people who did contribute will get better things. And so we're working on that. But then we're also working on like some big, big like, you know, if we get ten thousand dollars, then we're we will have. You know Brian Young, or we will have some somebody part of the project. Sushi um, catering every day. Right. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Plays for the whole. Week. Uh, but you know what I'm saying. Something that you can that will translate on screen as like a you know like a tangible like oh they got you know someone to be a part of this and so we're we're working on that. We have a couple. Of, you know I, I don't want to put anyone's name in the mix, but we're we're working on trying to get people to help you know push us over. Well, and I, I think what um, the uh, proof that that you guys reach your your goal, you guys had very modest goals. I mean, it it, yeah. it wasn't much, and <laughs> you guys reached them very, very, very quickly. And I think that that's that that does kind of um, that does go towards the um, uh, side of a lot of times the the haters out there tend to be the loudest. They tend to be the, maybe the most colorful, but they also tend to be the minority. And I was, you know, I've been a part of this this fan this community for my for my whole life. But even since 1999, I mean, almost everybody that I that I knew liked these movies. And we were at the celebration, and you know, there's just so much love for them, all of them. You know, it's it's not 50 50. You know. For people that are uh, original trilogy versus prequel trilogy, I, I would, you know, if I was to put a number on it, I'd say it's probably 80-20 that don't like it. 
you know. Would you still like it the same amount if that number was reversed? Would sure. Still... Why? Yeah. I, yeah. It. I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that it would affect me. It's just that. Yeah. I, 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 you know. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think it really matters at all. Yeah. Uh, people are always gonna. Yeah. Hate, 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 hate. There's gonna be a margin <laughs> for for any for anything that's out there of people who hate it, and the internet makes it easier for them to just come out exactly. and really make it personal and evil. And they launch these bombs from the shadows, just yeah. like yeah, just like Sith lurking in the background. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, well, thank you very much, Bradley. I know we've taken up a lot of your time. I want to thank you for talking to us. Uh, I know you've got a documentary you got to get back to work on. Uh, you're writing an article here that's got to uh, it's got to go up tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, any uh, time frame as to when this movie will be out? I know you're targeting before episode seven. I know, it, and it's it gets larger and larger. We're I'm trying to be as noncommittal as possible because there's. There's a lot that's going to have to go into it, and as we as we travel down, kind of pass towards distribution, there's timelines we have to meet. So, it, I, I my goal is to get in in the in the very least have a rough cut by the uh, by episode seven, and then maybe depending on you know what distributors would allow, but I'd like to be able to show that to the people that contributed. Um, I, I I don't know. We're toying around ideas of when we'll actually get this released, but it's large in part going to have to do with what our distribution possibilities are going to be after. Well, if you if you still need a I, – I saw in the trailer that you're looking for a location to shoot. Uh, if you're in San Diego for Comic-Con, if you're doing some shooting out here, you, um, our studio includes numerous uh, Star Wars paraphernalia, including a life-sized Darth Vader. So – you're welcome to shoot here if you want. <laughs> All to the yeah. backdrop of otherwise your grandma's basement. <laughs> yeah, basically, basically a garage with a bunch of stuff and microphones. But you are, you know, uh, you know, I'm gonna, I will throw our hat in the ring if you uh, are hungry for another location. Hey, absolutely, that helps me a lot. And matter of fact, you know, <laughs> the good thing about the location is that it comes with some good interviews as well. I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, you guys would probably be great on screen as well. I don't <laughs> know if we're gonna be in San Diego. There is a. There's a chance, so I will definitely keep you know keep you up to speed. There's another guy in San Diego I'd like to to, to interview as well, so it, it might be a smart a smart move on our part. But we'll see where Catch our money is. Catch us all is. in one place, and you know uh, if you if you do happen to make it, uh, please let us know. And I got a big fat drink for you, buddy, because I'm <laughs> I am so proud that you're doing this. I am so proud that this idea is out there. Uh, you know, you're kind of putting up on screen what I've been trying to say this whole time. So thank you so much. Hey, absolutely. I'm. I, thanks you guys for you know having me on, and uh, I'll definitely take you up on that drink if I'm in San Diego. Right on, Bradley. Thanks again. <laughs> All right, thanks, buddy. Get back to work and brush off those haters. <laughs> <laughs> you have one million dollars. Trying to trying to make money off those movies. Yeah, that was a episode three commercial by Burger King. So uh, I think by that time PepsiCo did not own the restaurants by then because I know they they they've been sold and now Burger King. By the time it's episode three, Burger, now you can go get your toys at Burger King. So yeah, right, look at that. There you go. So yep. we've all learned something. All right. Well, that was uh, that was Bradley Weatherholt. 
everybody. Uh, head on over to Indiegogo. Give them a couple more bucks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they can they can have a better craft services table, if nothing else. <laughs> but it right. sounds like this is a his movie's going to get made. We'll see when it comes out. Yeah. But it looks like he's got the passion. Now he's got the money. He's got a team behind him, and he's got plenty to talk about. Uh, and you guys should check out. He's got a great trailer. It's on Indiegogo.com, right? I mean, just yeah. Google it. It's called, uh, While you're making your donation, you can see the trailer. Five that's, bucks, that's ten simple. bucks goes a long way, man. Mm-hmm. And apparently, you might uh, at a certain level, you'll get you'll get a DVD, you'll get a, you know maybe a Blu-ray. You'll come to your house and film you. I don't know. There's <laughs> <laughs> some good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, what do you think? Do you think I kind of nailed it as far as what I think this movie will do? Uh, which is what? <laughs> I think it's going to clear the path. I think it's going to basically. It's not going to convert the real haters out there because nothing will ultimately. But what I think it will do is kind of allow those, you know, the kids in 1999 that watched the prequels, maybe even watched them first, really liked them and they bought the toys and they really, they, they, they fell in love with the prequels much like you and I fell in love with the original trilogy. And they've been kind of the unfair uh, recipients of a lot of this hate because, like, in a in a in a kind of a weird way, to the loudest voices out there, those of us that like the prequels are some somehow idiots that don't know a good movie, or we're just somehow some kind of mindless George Lucas fanatics that'll like anything he puts out there. Mm-hmm. You know, like we can be critical of the prequels, like you know, one of the if if I was to pick something out. The some of the love scenes between Anakin and Padme on Episode Two are pretty hard to they're they're, yeah. they're pretty hard to sit through, you know. But a lot of us can just kind of look. We can just kind of compartmentalize that and say they have a love affair. It's forbidden. Let's just move on. Let's get to Yoda versus Dooku, you know. Mm-hmm. So, um, but this this film is kind of allowing that kind of that that okay. It's giving you a little bit more muscle and so that you can punch back mm-hmm. and say, you know what? You don't really understand the prequels. You're just a hater. Did well, you know, that's, that's kind of a hater attitude there too. You can't be dismissive and be on the, you know, the receptive side. You can't say you're just a hater. So shut up. I can, I don't have to listen to your opinion. That's, that's hate in itself. So you can't really do that. I think what this documentary is aiming to do is to raise awareness, to tell people, if you like the movies, it's okay to like them. Mm-hmm. Look, here's here's a little more, uh, let's shine a light on some some other good things about them. It's, it's because documentaries, typically, they are made to raise awareness. Mm-hmm. That's what a documentary is for. And teach you a little something. By raising awareness. Sure. So that's what... That's what this does is saying, sure, there's people who are really critical of the of the prequels. Here's 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 return fodder for that. Uh-huh. If you're gonna chew on that critique, listen to this praise. That's what I think it's going to do. So again, yeah, it's not it's not even designed to convert anybody. I agree. It's designed to reinforce Exactly people's ideas that if it's a uh, I like this movie, hey, here's some reasons to like it more. And like I said, I think the the haters, that's that third group that is mm-hmm. you're not going to change. Nope. You get the two groups who are just uh overly critical say it's a good movie but or the the fan or I like them who but, say yeah. it's it's Star Wars, it's great. Yeah. So this one uh, at best might shift a couple people who are right on the edge of being just diehard fans 
but they're still, ah, but the movie was dumb. It could have been done better. It kind of insulted my intelligence. Say, hey, you know what? It was smarter than it looked. Maybe you'll get a couple of those people over there, but really I think what it's doing is just reinforcing the fans. It's saying, that's what I wanted great to do. Things. That's what I wanted to do. It's like, I want those people to come out. That's what I'm trying to say, and I'm not doing a good job of it, but... I want those people to come out because there's this unbalance of hatred that's kind of going towards the prequels, and it causes the fans of those prequels to kind of cower a little bit. And I'm just glad that something is out there just saying it's okay to come out, join, you know, come out of the woodwork. I don't really care so much about converting people. Mm-hmm. I want the people that are already on board to feel free to come out <laughs> and shout from the rooftops how much you love these movies. Yeah. And here we are again at the verge of what a lot of us believe is going to be the best of all the movies. Episode 7 is coming out. The trailers have been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know, the the hype has been very well controlled, I believe, in the way that they're rolling it out. It's not everywhere, right? I mean, at this point in 1999, Star Wars was in every Taco Bell, KFC, Pizza Hut. It was they had Pepsi cans, Mountain Dew yeah. cans. You know, all that stuff, it was all around. The shelves were covered with it. There's not even a toy going to hit the shelves until, I think, September. Yeah. Which is still going to be well ahead of the movie. So that it's, is not typical it's for not any, movies and toys it, and stuff. It's sell. not any further for than... Star Wars. Yeah. That's different. This is in time for the... This is for the Christmas shopping is what's going to happen. Mm, yeah. But, you know, but I just think that, like, here we are riding this wave up again. And, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what happens. People are going to be disappointed. And people are also going to hate, and there's going to be people who love it no matter what's on the screen. That's right. And the majority of us will wait until we see it to put ourselves in a group. Mm -hmm. However, you do have those two extremes, the ones who are going to hate it, the ones who have already been on the Internet hating it based Mm -hmm. on a minute and a half of footage. (laughs) Uh, And you've also got the people who are on the Internet praising it as the next coming based on that same minute and a half of footage. It's hard for me to take either group seriously at this point. I am part of the great middle, and I will watch the movie and judge it on its own merits. The famous undecided voter. And maybe 15 years from now, there'll be a new ring theory to come out, and Bradley will get to work on a new documentary about the third set of trilogy. We'll see. Time will tell. I meant to ask him if he thinks that the ring will project into the next trilogy. So we're going to have to ask him that next time. I kind of hope not. I hope it does. I, I, I want to get in there and just see a movie that I can enjoy by itself. And the, the fact that I bring a lot of love and uh, and expectations for this universe already, I don't want that to be a negative. And that is exactly that if there is a problem with the prequels, it's that specific thing is that they are not designed to be standalone great movies. They The prequels specifically, the only movie that is designed to be a great movie is A New Hope because he didn't know if he was going to make another one. All the other movies in the Star Wars saga were all designed to be viewed together. Yeah. So you really don't get that great movie out of any of them. And at the same time, I could say that the greatest movie of all time is Empire Strikes Back. Well, that's... I was at, you know, I'm sorry. Which I think also does stand pretty well on its own. You do need to know stuff <laughs> yeah, from Star from exactly. A New Hope to, exactly. en- to enjoy it fully. I agree. But by itself, you sit down and watch it, you can say that's a good movie. It's amazing. And but it's, it's harder it, to do but with it's the prequels. But it's still not, it's not done. It just is. Yeah, but it's, it's just not done 
It's not a standalone movie. It does not work by itself, and none of them do. And I wonder how Episode Seven is going to be. Is it going to be a part of this ring, or is it going to be a standalone? It basically can if they're already planning trilogy. So anyway, yep, I that's have enough been... Star Wars talk. <laughs> I don't want to hear any more about it until September when the first toys come rolling out. December when the movie finally gets here. And then we can talk about or it when again. This, or when this documentary finally hits shelves or video on demand. Yes, the virtual yeah. shelf. The virtual shelf. Uh, we're looking forward to it. It's, it already has us talking. Uh, check out his Indie, Indiegogo site. Yeah, go to Indiegogo, the prequel strike back. Let's uh, Give him a couple of bucks. Make sure this one gets made if you're a fan or if, I, if you're a hater. Give them money so they can hang themselves. Uh, and our, so our thanks, our thanks to stop. Bradley. Our thanks to Jamie Kennedy, of course. Oh yeah, I love him. Buddy Hutchins. You can catch that movie. Uh, I'm looking everywhere for Heckler. I can't find it aside I'll, from directly from I'll him. From so, you, yeah. but if if you out there already have a copy, watch it again. It's great. Yeah. Uh, and for all you haters, well, you're just gonna do your thing. We uh, can't stop you. For all you haters out there, that's enough of this. That's enough of this. Now we know. And knowing is half the battle. Oh, this is enough of this. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.